Hello and welcome to the Movie Bunker podcast. It's me, Matt. Hey, it's me, Chris, again. I did my DJ voice. Then. It's me, Matt. You did very good on that. It sounds very it's, professional. It's the weird inflection. I don't know where it comes from, but it's just deep inside me. Some of us have got it and some of us haven't. So Sorry just, about that. Just... You, um, <laughs> you're getting more and more professional as the years go on. <laughs> After two, two years, yeah, I can, I can nearly string a sentence together without having to... Uh, to, 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 to repeat myself. <laughs> I tell you what, if we put out these podcasts completely unedited every week, they would know what a sham uh, both of us are at talking. Cause... <laughs> Let's just say that I know the sand waveform for a uh, uh and, yeah. uh, and a like. Like, yeah. it's like. <laughs> you, do a lot, you do do a lot of youth speak, and I do a lot of um, um, uh, that sort of stuff. And <laughs> and putting the words together to to sort of form a co you know a sentence that works. I you, you wouldn't believe the amount of work that goes into it. But yeah, well, <laughs> who are we, Chris? I don't know. We're the Movie Bunker Podcast. So why we, do we yeah, do it? Well, um, we decided to do a podcast about the films that are critically panned, but we wanted to take the worst films out there. Uh, on sort of Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb, ones with the lowest score, and watch them and then try and find good things to say about them. And then we get guests on, talk about a film that they really, really like or have a soft spot for um, that potentially their peers or or other people in their profession didn't like. And then they kind of, you know, defend its honour. And that didn't happen this episode, actually. But... For a good reason. I spoke to Mark Searby, who's a journalist, critic, and an, an author, and asked him, obviously, as we, we try and get people to do the podcast, it's kind of pick a film, defend it on. He's like, oh, God, I could do so many, but there's a film that I really want to do, this film, that wasn't the film that was meant to be. And we, we talk about it. It's a really interesting story. Um, but, yeah, we chose Jiggly, not Jiggly. G- <laughs> I can't even G- do it. Jiggly. Gilly, like really, but with a G. G. Um, but everyone, everyone else, everyone in the world would know this film as Giggly, right? Giggly, yeah, yeah. Giggly, that's what it looks like on the cover, right? Giggly. And Giggly is one of those um, movies that's sort of heralded as, as the, one of the worst movies ever. And it is yeah. really bad, but there's a really... Right, enough of your waffle, Chris. Play the <laughs> interview. <laughs> Here we go. Here's the interview. Hello and welcome to the Movie Bunker podcast. It's me, Chris, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Searby. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How's it going your end? Yes, pretty good. Uh, unprecedented times. I keep <laughs> saying this every week. I keep saying it. Um, but, you know, we're, we're rolling. We're rolling with the punches and you've just got to keep your chin up and, and take each day as it comes. Um, the good thing is for people like me and you and people listening there are still films being released. We can still watch films. They're still there. We can stream them at home. I mean, yeah. that, that makes me happy, to be honest. It, it would make me happier if I could watch it in the big, on the big screen. Unfortunately, not at the moment, but I keep my fingers crossed that that day will arrive very soon. Before we get on to the, the wonders of Gili, which was your movie choice, um, mm. uh, I have pronounced that right because it is rammed down your throat all the way through the film. Mark, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into films and reviewing because you're a film critic and an author, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. So at the moment, I'm the resident film critic on BBC Suffolk, BBC Northampton and Phoenix FM in Essex. Um, That all started, well, I'll I'll do the short version, basically. I started writing music reviews for Heat magazine, coming up to 10 years ago now, actually. And uh, I wanted to do more because I was kind of enjoying writing the reviews. It's the first things I'd ever really done like that. 
somebody pointed me in the direction of somebody who ran this huge website and they said, oh, uh, they might be interested in music reviews. So I met up with them and they said, we've got five people doing music reviews, but we only have one person doing film. Do you like film? I'm like, well, yeah, I absolutely adore film. You know, when I passed my test, I used to uh, take my mum's car on a Friday. I'd drop her off at work at 8 a.m. And I would go to the cinema all day on Friday and then pick her up at 5 p.m. I mean, it was amazing. So, you know, I've, I've always been an addict of film. I think most of us are who are, who have been doing this a long time, you know, yourself as well. Um, mm. we, we wouldn't do it otherwise. That's the thing. We're all yeah. here because we're lovers of film. Um, and basically the, the website were like, yeah, we'll take you on. And it sort of snowballed from there. I was writing for a few other bits, uh, a few other websites and whatever else, a couple of magazines that are now sadly defunct. Did a few online videos, little video blogs to tie in with re-releases. Uh, they're on YouTube that you can see them. And then just through a bizarre chance of somebody who I knew through work who was a presenter on um, what, what used to be the Anglian radio station network. So it covered the whole of East Anglia, basically. And they said, do you want to come and review some films on a Thursday night, 10 minutes? I'm like, yeah, of course, I'd love to. You know, I'm, I'm happy to talk. My writing, I'm not sure if it's any good, but my talking, I know I'm good at talking, you know. <laughs> um, so I did that for three years and then the radio stations got sold um, and I was out of a job until a week later when one of the guys who was previously on there and he was the breakfast show presenter moved over to BBC and said, I'd love to have you on my show and come and do the same thing. I'm like, yeah, great. So I moved to BBC Suffolk in 2017, I think it was doing the reviews basically it was it's one or two at the cinema which obviously isn't happening at the moment and then one or two on dvd so you know the, the usual format really but yeah um and then phoenix fm is a local community station near where i live so that's just something that you know i know somebody and i'm like yeah i'm happy to go down you know it's it's 20 minutes out of my day it's no problem and they get to talk about film again that's the main thing really yeah. for me going back to the the previous thing author um so in 2017 i put a book out all about the films of al pacino um, 648 pages uh, and it was basically like this huge in-depth uh, look at his films where it was pre-production, filming, uh, box office reviews, critical reviews um, and then like right at the end of each chat so each film had a critical analysis from myself about them and this is 54 films. And then after that, there was an interview with at least one person who starred in that film, which was basically like, what was it like working with Al Pacino, et cetera, et cetera. So you sort of, and what I hoped was you sort of understood what his methods were like, because he's such an iconic actor. And as we know, a method actor as well. So I put that out in 2017. Um, and it, it's still going. Uh, that's the beauty of it. And two years ago, I'm, I'm so pleased to say that Al actually got a copy of the book, thanks to US film critic Leonard Melton, who gave him a copy. Um, and the word back is he loves the book. He can't believe somebody has written 600 and something pages about his life, <laughs> um, which, you know, to me is like, wow, I can't believe this, this is amazing. So, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things that when you're writing it and it takes you two and a half years and it takes you however many pounds it does because I self-published as well you think this is just not worth it. And then in 2018, when you see a picture of Al Pacino with your book, you think it's all worth it. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's been continuing like this. It's, it's been fantastic. I don't know if being called the Pacino guy is good or not, um, but I'll take it. It's fine. Well, it's better than being called the Dunkachino guy. <laughs> you would be 
unsurprised to learn the amount of people who will send me that gif on a regular weekly basis like it's something i've never seen before you know well the um, thing is what once you i know we'll probably get onto this because obviously the, the connection with with al pacino and and, and Shikli, Gili rather is um <laughs> yeah he's in it for for one scene and a marvelous mm. scene it is as well but yes i mean he has done some great films and he's cameoed if you like in some not so great films but you know yeah committed 100% and I think in either way isn't he yeah absolutely I think that's the thing is that you know when you got in touch with me and said listen you're gonna have to pick a bad film here and stick up for it and and obviously I wanted to pick a Pacino film yeah and you know it would be easy for me to pick Jack and Joe but I'm not sticking up for it because it is still a terrible film and I write that in the book that as much as it's Adam Sandler and if you like Adam Sandler good it's not a film for Pacino he shouldn't be in it Mm. and you know he made Revolution which sank his career for five years but the re-release of Revolution that the BFI put out several years ago is a completely different film so I couldn't even choose Revolution basically because it's been reclassified as a very good film as much as i'm not saying that pacino hasn't done stinkers he has you know the the real-time thriller 88 minutes which actually lasts 102 minutes you know that could have been chosen but Mm. there's still bad films that he's made but you know i think we'll allow it when you consider his catalog of work and and the amount of amazing films and it's not just something that you can count on one hand or you know two hands or a hand and a foot as well or anything it's it's beyond that the catalog is incredible he's a massive icon isn't in terms and he's just um had a, a an 80th birthday as he's 80 now so yeah yeah 80 years old and was nominated for an oscar yeah, wow, what a great combo. He's been waiting a long time for that. Has he been nominated before or has he just never won? Yeah, he's uh, he's won once. He won for Scent of a Woman for yeah. uh, Best Actor and then he was nominated in the 70s for The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2. Because he famously, he, he famously makes that joke in, in Jack and Jill, which we will keep talking about because obviously <laughs> it's, it's one of our favourite films um, in the podcast. Yes, he's famously only had the one uh, and he makes that lovely joke about it in, uh, in Jack mm. and Jill when he throws... Or does he use it for a, something or it gets no, broken? No, it's, it's on. See, here's the thing. I know this <laughs> moment automatically because it's actually a really good moment in the film, to be honest. Yeah, yeah he's got the Oscar on the shelf and Adam Sandler throws something at, at him and he dodges out the way and it breaks the Oscar. And Adam Sandler says to him, well, you've probably got loads. And he goes, yeah, you would think, but I don't. <laughs> and I'm like, do you know what? That's a really good in-joke there for anybody who didn't get it. But that's the only joke there, let's face it. Well, let's get on to Gili then. Sometimes I think you're involved with bad things. Are you? Oh, man. Beneath a rugged exterior, Larry Gili was a nice guy. Are you? You know me, I'm gonna be fine. Putting on a good show. That's professional. He's just been given his big break. There's a certain witness with psychological defects. (laughs) And I want him held on to. But he's about to get. (laughs) He's kidding, he's kidding. An even bigger surprise. Hello. I'm sorry. Do we know each other? Not yet. I guess Lewis would feel more comfortable if there were two independent contractors working on this. I want you to work with her, and I want you to watch her. She will be watching you. Let me tell you something. In every relationship, there's a bull and a cow. I'm the bull. You're the cow. You got that? Yeah, I got it. Bull cow. Reach me, Larry. What? Oh, come on, Larry. Read to him. I got nothing here. You don't have a book. For well over a century, the adventurous flavor of Tabasco sauce has fired up generations of thrill seekers. Okay? That's good. 
If you want to, you can, you know, take half of my bed. That's very kind of you. I'd love to. We'll do the whole thing professionally. This may be a good time to suggest that you not allow the seeds of cruel hope to sprout in your soul. I don't know what that means, but it sounds beautiful. It means you're not my type. Good night. Good night. Now, the more they deny it. Are you and Larry, sweetheart? I hope so. She's gorgeous. She thinks I'm beautiful. Yeah, she's blind to one eye. They resist it. A woman is beautiful. Now don't get yourself all tied in a knot. The longer they fake it. Why are you driving me crazy? I don't even know why I had a crush on you. Back a long time ago when I first met you. The stronger it becomes. What is it you're so sad about? I got this beautiful, sexy, unattainable girl sleeping in a bed right next to me. This is driving me crazy. You should take a nap. I got a confession. I think we're good together. Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez. Every relationship has a flaw in a cow, huh? That's right. Geely. New, my best Charmin ever. Charmin Ultra Double Roll. I'll give out a, a quick plop synopsis of Gigli and then we'll get, we'll get into it a little bit because I'm, I'm sure, well, you've seen it, obviously, and it's one of your, one of your all-time favourites. So <laughs> Gigli, 2003, billed as a comedy crime romance, which I'd probably say is, is kind of true. Um, Larry Gigli is assigned by a crime boss to kidnap the brother of a prominent district attorney. A beautiful woman known as, only as Ricky is sent to stay with him and make sure he doesn't mess it up. Um, that's pretty much the, the plop synopsis on IMDb. And I guess, in essence, that is it. We don't really know, after watching the film, what else was intended to be the story, because it, it is a bit of a black hole in terms of that, isn't it, I would say? Mm, yeah. I mean, you have a third character in there as well, played by Justin Bartha, um, who is ultimately the, the Dustin Hoffman to Ben Affleck's Tom Cruise. Yes. Um, and it's, but... a diffi- it's a difficult one to talk about, I guess, nowadays, this, this sort of, it's this tricky subject to skirt around. The, the third character is picked up from a home uh, and uh, used as a, a pawn, I guess, as a, mm. um, not necessarily of either it's picked, pitched as comic relief but it certainly I think was designed to have some sort of comic relief would you agree Mm. I think so uh I I, part of me thinks that if it was a different actor it would have had that comedic element to it but I think because of the way Justin Bartha plays it it feels like it should be a, a a rip-off, homage, whatever you want to call it, to Dustin Hoffman from Rain Man. And yeah, it comes yeah. off like a completely failed experiment of trying to portray Hoffman in the Rain Man. I mean, it's quite embarrassing, really. Yeah, yeah. How, how bad it is. So 2003, I think I said 2004, but 2003, directed by Martin Brest, who his, his filmography is pretty impressive. He, he wrote the story mm-hmm. as well, but... Some of, some of the movies that he has uh, written, produced, Scent of a Woman, another Pacino movie, obviously. We've got Midnight Run, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Meet, Meet Joe Black, which was okay. Um, so he can write, direct a decent movie, can't he? Oh, yeah. There's no getting away from the fact that Marty Brest is a, a phenomenal director. You know, I, I don't think anybody can question that. Even his mediocre hits like uh, Meet... Meet Joe Black, which I actually like. I think it's a really good film. It's maybe a little bit too long. But, you know, that made over $140 million in the US alone. So 
he gets his money back. This is the thing. But this is only this was only the second film he's ever written. Okay. Um, normally he works with other people's material. So maybe that's it. Maybe yeah. is that, you know, sometimes a director can't separate the difference between what he's written on the page and how he's projecting that on onto the onto the canvas, basically. And I wonder if that's the case with what Marty Bress was trying to do with this. Um, do you think it was he was attracted by the like the J Lo Ben Affleck thing that was very prominent at the time? Their relationship was big, sort of celebrity news. I remember it being rammed down your throats everywhere you looked, and her singles and her her music career was probably at its peak as well. Do you think he was attracted by that kind of? Well, that didn't happen until they were filming. That was only going on while they were filming, basically. So by the oh, okay. time Marty Brest had written it and was looking to produce it with people, he got Ben Affleck. He'd spoken to Ben Affleck, and Affleck was all for it. And actually, it was meant to be Halle Berry who was going to play Ricky. Right. But she couldn't do it at the last minute because she had scheduling issues with X-Men 2. I mean, what a fluke that turned out <laughs> to be for her, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I think whoever would have played that role still would have come out of it in such negative light like Jennifer Lopez did. So he had already spoken to Jennifer Lopez previously, but she particularly wasn't impressed with it. And then obviously Halle Berry was in, and then all of a sudden she was out. So they went back to Jennifer Lopez and obviously wheeled in sackfuls of cash, I imagine. I yeah. don't know. And he was like, yeah, fine. And also I think that's probably where the relationship started between Affleck and Lopez. Um, and, and their heavy media saturated relationship was going. Yeah. Um, but the, I mean, the thing is, this is a comp what we're talking about. The film that we have seen, you know, you've seen it. I've seen it three times now, which I think is more times than Marty Brest has seen it, to be honest, <laughs> um, is not the film that Marty Brest wrote or even directed. This is the thing about it. And this is why coming on this podcast, you know, you're saying, well, choose a film that, people hate, but you love. Now, I don't love Gilet. I've got to make that clear. But what I want to say is the fact that this is not the film that Marty Brest or Ben Affleck or Jennifer Lopez or whoever else was involved set out to make. Because what it was meant to be was this dark, I don't want to say comedy because it's not even a, it wasn't even a comedy. It was like this dark thriller about a hitman who falls in love who you know struggles to understand what it is to be in love with somebody who ultimately is his better version really so Monty Brest had written this film and he mm. filmed it as well that's the thing he had filmed this really dark piece um, that was running at nearly three hours now you said to me before we started it felt like it was forever already and it was only two hours this version of it yeah so imagine the two hours well nearly three hours so they'd made this film and they showed it to the studio and the studio went, no, we can't have this. Because what happens at the end is in the original, Gili is killed. Larry Gili is killed on the beach. Oh, right. And so they didn't want that because Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez are a big couple. We want to cash in on the Benefer yes. aspect of things. So they forced Marty Brest to go back and reshoot probably about 20 minutes worth of footage, including the ending, which we'll come to in a moment because I know it's your favourite bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they forced him to reshoot all of this and trim it down by 40 minutes as well. So you can understand where Marty Brest's head was at, where he was like, 
listen, I wrote this. It's not meant to be a mainstream film, even though it's got Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez in it and Al Pacino and Christopher Walken and, you know, Lainey Kazan and all these people. This is a dark piece of work. You know, it's maybe a film that you would see an independent release in or something like that. But the studio didn't want that. They were like, no, we need to cash in on the Benefer aspect. So he had to go back, reshoot it all. And then put this monstrosity out that he hates. And as you may well know, Marty Brest has not made a film since Gigli. He's, he's disappeared off the face of the planet. He's never given an interview since. He's never appeared anywhere. He's never given, you know, he's not anywhere, basically. I mean, there are people who know where he is, without a doubt. His agent knows where he is, and a few uh, friends know where he is. But the fact that he had such a terrible time making Gigli makes me sad and this is why I kind of I don't want to stick up for it but I want to get the real truth out there is the fact that Marty Brest this incredible director you know the films that you just listed off recently you're like I could watch any of those at any point and they would be brilliant yeah definitely and now he makes this film which he thinks okay this is something different for me this is something darker you know it's not a comedy it's not a it's not a full-on romance like Meet Joe Black is it's something different and they turn around and they go well this is shit yeah, you need yeah. to change it. I can see why he's disappeared. I can see why he's become a recluse. And it's such a shame. Similar thing happened to the League of Gen- Extraordinary Gentlemen, didn't it? With uh, Sean Connery and the, the, the director mm. on that movie. Where basically oh, great point. Hideous, hideous film experiences really ruin, well, just make, make, make people turn away from the, the career that they built over you know, years and years and years. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. So That's these these producers, executive producers and studios um, can make or break movies but they can also make and break directors and actors as well can't they this is yeah. a sad thing oh yeah 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 completely agree um and i think that's the worst thing about it is that you have somebody with such a great track record like marty breast and they turn around and they say right you've got to change that because we want to cash in on the the now crowd rather than letting it have like that long tail effect you know, you were saying about the, uh, the, the the relationship was, you know, developing on set, but it does explain some of the chemistry issues. I mean, a lot of the reviews that I've read about the movie, I was doing a little bit of research in terms of what did people say about this when it came out, is that it lacked an incredible amount of chemistry um, between the two, obviously, main, main leads. And I thought, well, that's odd considering that they were, you know, having mm. in a relationship, but if they were developing that, then just because you, you're, you know, you're attracted to somebody off screen doesn't mean you can then portray that on screen and it it could be incredibly awkward as well in that situation and they put themselves into these sort of scenes and scenarios where he's hitting on her she's not interested um they have to share a bed with each other there's all sorts of plot devices which don't work and don't make any sense (laughs) um to try and show this tension this sexual tension which clearly isn't there because she Mm. makes it very clear to him that she's not interested he is a pig uh, in terms of his his behaviour yeah. and his attitude and and just the way he talks to everybody, he's not a likable person in in, no. in any way. No. And so you think, well, I don't like her much because I don't know anything about her. I don't mm. like him. I like Brian because obviously I feel incredibly sad for him, and he's in this mm. situation which he has no choice over. And also, you know, how did he get there? You know, why is he there? The plot really isn't fleshed out. Mm. We get snippets of of information from the the, uh, the mob boss, uh, Lenny, mm. Lenny, Louis, is it Louis or Louis, who hates everybody as well. I mean, why yeah. hire Ben Affleck in the first place if you don't trust him? So we, there's, there's so much going on, but very little as well. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's vacuous, isn't it? And yeah. I was thinking if you wanted to slip away, into, I mean, this is coma-inducing in a way that you would think, 
okay, I'm not missing anything. You'd fall asleep for half an hour, you'd wake up and you'd go, right, yeah, they're still having a chat about um, what it means to be a lesbian or um, mm. what it means to be a man and whether you look at your fingernails, how do you look at your, your fingernails shows your sexuality. There's all these little, I guess, little dialogue uh, nuggets that you, you'd think would actually go somewhere work don't yeah Yeah. and it's kind of nice little chunks you think oh in any other film maybe that would work so i see i'm talking i'm rambling a lot now i see no no i've gone on to play right (laughs) you're right though in that there is some of the dialogue in there is very multi-breast you know long pieces that have some sort of merit to them you know you think about something like meet joe black you think about something like scent of a woman with all those classic lines in there especially you know towards the end where he goes to stick up for charlie against all of the other school kids yeah these are incredible moments in films that multi-breast is directing i think that's what he was trying to do with Gigli, is to have these moving moments these emotional impacting dialogue that just doesn't work i mean you saying about you could skip you could fall asleep and miss stuff and it wouldn't matter the only thing that would matter is you would miss all of the cameos in this film and there's a lot of cameos that's the strange thing about it like not only have you got ben affleck and jennifer lopez in the two roles but you've got a ridiculous amount of cameos just for 10 minutes and it's not as though they come back into the film either That's the weird thing for me. Um, And one of the most strange cameos in this film is Lainey Kazan as Gigli's mother. Because the first time we meet her, Ben Affleck is injecting something into her bottom. So the camera pans there and she's got what can only be described as some sort of stripper thong on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and she's going, oh, lower, lower. And then, oh, higher. And, and, And it's all very awkward i can't imagine anybody in their right mind would go to their mom yeah don't worry i'll inject it while i can see your thong hanging out it's very awkward and it gets worse because she then there's almost that undercurrent of the fact that she's trying to hit on ricky as well yeah Um, yeah and when I interviewed Lainey Kazan uh, for my book, I said to her, well, you know, how were you playing her? She said, oh, I was playing her as a lesbian. That's what I thought she was. And I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. But you had to tell me that. It's yeah. not that well <laughs> told in the film. Yeah, she, um, she does this little, little um, bit where she goes about, you know, before she got married and before she had kids, she, she dabbled and or she was a bit of mm. a uh, promiscuous and things like that, which is fine. I mean, that, I thought that was a... A nice little touch, but she she welcomes these strangers into her house with open arms. She doesn't know who they are. They're not introduced. She's playing this larger than life mother figure, which I I I actually quite liked her on screen. I didn't think she was particularly poor. She did what she did very well. What she had, I believe. Um, like you know, when it's like when Christopher Walken rocks, rocks up, you go, oh, thank fuck for that. Sorry, but you know, it's like thank <laughs> thank goodness there is. There is yeah. something, and, and, and yeah, she breathes fresh air into it, and yeah, we see her once. Funnily enough, in the trailer for the movie, there's another scene where they're sat having a conversation, and she's asking him questions about what he's doing, where he's going. Um, I noticed that didn't make the movie cut, or the final cut of the movie, which is often the case with trailers, but mm. that would have been interesting if they, they built on their kind of relationship a little bit. You might have you know, got a better understanding of where they were as a, as a mother um, mm. and son. But yeah, Let's let's move, let's move on to sort of Christopher Walken because as you say with these these cameos and they are that really that Christopher Walken comes in and you know we 
you're surprised to see him, aren't you? Because the door, <laughs> he knocks the door. Um, they're obviously hiding Brian mm. uh, in the back somewhere because obviously they have kidnapped him very easily. Setting that scene up, we're thinking, okay, this is going to escalate to something sort of Tar- Tarantino-esque potentially, okay, when he turns in. But it's mild, isn't it? And yes, mm. he's got presence, but nothing happens. It's a poor man's Tarantino moment basically not even a poor man's that's the thing you know poor man's tarantino i'd still be happy with but this is this is something else because he does appear and as you said you think yeah fantastic here we go we're going to get 15 minutes of christopher walken being christopher walken from true romance or something yeah and it doesn't happen there's not enough there's not enough energy in the character for anything like that to happen so you ultimately come away going why was that (laughs) there that didn't make any sense great to see christopher walken but that could have been anybody it really could have been anybody and i think that's the worst thing about it is that you know all of these cameos ultimately could have been anybody it didn't need to be names i know it obviously wanted to be names because it sells the film but you could have put anybody in those roles um Mm. you know you're not seeing the real Christopher Walken, you know, the, 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 the dynamic Christopher Walken. You're not seeing the fun Lainey Kazan that you saw in uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding or, you know, something like that. And obviously we'll come to Pacino in a moment, but you're not seeing any of those, the energy that they bring to other films that clearly Marty Brest wanted them to bring to this film but they didn't. Yeah, it's, it's very much like opening a nice new bottle of fizzy pop and opening it and then realizing it's already gone flat before yeah, you've yeah. even taken a drink. You know, it's that sort of thing. And it's very frustrating. So then we have to wait mm. for the next breath of fresh air, which is Al Pacino. When we're introduced to Al, he's doing what he does best, isn't he? And he, he's an on-screen force of nature, isn't he? Um, and you're squirming, aren't you? Because you you know what he's capable of on screen. And he, yeah. does, he delivers that to some, uh, to some extent on this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've written in the book, the, cha- the chapter about Gili that I wrote in the book, and I put, it's little more than Pacino being Pacino, which it basically is. But by this time in his career, he had stopped being shouty 90s Pacino that everybody knows him for. And it sort of started to change his ways and be, you know, make smaller films, basically. Uh, you know, before this, he made The Recruit, which is not a small film by any token, but it is for him. He's not shouting. He's not doing that much in it, really. Mm. Um, and I think this reverted him back to the 90s, reverted him all the way back to Scent of a Woman, and clearly, Marty Brest just said to him, look, just just do, you know, uh, Lieutenant, uh, Colonel Lieutenant Slade again for me for 10 minutes. The, the interesting thing about this is, and it goes hand in hand with the entire film, is that Pacino is very well groomed in this film. Very well groomed, which is quite shocking because, as we know, in a lot of films, he's not. He's sort of... He still thinks he's playing Frank Serpico to a certain degree, I think. You yeah. Know, uh, the, the beard and the, the shaggy hair and everything. But in this... He looks incredibly manicured. He's got a very sharp suit. His goatee is sharp as well. His hair's combed. I mean, he is kind of fun in it. He's got a really good line where he says, uh, oh, sit, sit. He said, I say everything twice. And it's like, it's kind of fun. You know, he's, he's clearly having a bit of fun with it, but it doesn't really work. I think that's the problem. But he has got that anger to it because he does ultimately shoot uh, Lenny Vito. And, you know, it's a decent moment, but it's all sort of inconsequential because you've given up on the film by the time Pacino turns up. Yeah, yeah. There's this kind of thing underneath 
all of this, all these scenes as well is that I noticed about was, was the music. Um, none of the music really matches the sort of urgency or the or the the drama going on because whilst Al Pacino's character is is going, you know, doing his thing on screen, you've got this romantic kind of acoustic guitar thing going on <laughs> in the background because Jennifer Lopez, her character Ricky is intellectual and, and okay so she she mm. used her words to get out of situations and they, they they really hammer this home by she talks her way out of this tricky situation with Al Pacino and you know they they are probably just about to get whacked aren't they yeah. in this situation yeah. because they failed miserably in their task they yeah she talks her way out of it but under under this sort of this tense moment are they going to get away with it are they not the, the, the choices of music is not out of sight you know there's not this sort of mm. um, Ocean, uh, Ocean's Eleven sort of uh, crimey, capery kind of music going on. It's, it's, it's very sax heavy. There's bass. Um, it's really mild. It's unoffensive. It's just nothing. And it doesn't add anything. You, some, obviously, you get these musical cues in films to say, you are feeling this way now. This is how you should be feeling. We're going to mm. help you along with the scene now. Um, but with this, it's like, oh, I, yeah, I, uh, which is interesting you raise that because when you watch the film, it is bookended by some very upbeat, happy, almost 1980s type film movie music. You know, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they had Bobby McFerrin, Don't Worry, Be Happy playing in the, yeah. at the end or at the beginning. And when it started, when I watched it recently, I started, I'm like, oh, this is quite upbeat. It's quite jovial. It's quite fun. Um, and then, as you say, that disappears and you get some of the worst music in a film mm. ever because it doesn't recognize what it is. It's almost like it's temporary music. I think that's the weird thing yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, like they've completely forgotten to actually hire somebody to do the music properly. Yeah. And instead they've gone, yeah, uh, just get the work experience guy. Then after that, we're back to square one again. And it's, <laughs> it's kind of flat whilst they try and figure out what they're going to do. Is yeah. she, is she, you know, she's, quite clearly always batting him away and he's falling in love with her. He's head over heels. He starts mm. to come out of himself and say, look, he declares his love for her and she's untouchable to him despite, you know, them having uh, a little bit of a uh, relationship a bit earlier on the film. I'm not sure why that happens or, or why mm. she would let her guard down in that way or, or let him in, in essentially. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Odd how it moves on isn't it as i said it's sort of you've got these cameos inserted in and then all of a sudden it just moves on you're like well what happened there i mean i think as much as gili is a terrible character and he is a misogynistic piece of work um i think that's probably the way that marty breast wrote him he certainly had given an interview beforehand to say you know i was looking at somebody to be really nasty and really evil so i think while i don't promote that type of character it's interesting that you would have somebody like that as a lead character and it changes it but the way that ricky is played by jennifer lopez is so weird because she is portraying her intellect by sitting on a bed reading a book about peace you know how <laughs> we can all have peace and then in the next moment she brings up what can only be described as one of the worst lines in cinematic history which is <laughs> It's turkey time, gobble, <laughs> gobble. I mean, wow, wow. Who told Marty Brest to go back and reshoot that ending but not take that line out? Yeah. Really? They were so desperate to sell that sizzling sex angle that, as you said, when you watched it, you were like, they're just doing nothing for me. 
Yeah. They're, yeah. they're doing literally nothing. And yet you compare that to Al Pacino and Ellen Barkin in Sea of Love. I mean, my God, that sizzles like nothing else. Like you need, yeah, a, yeah. You need a cold shower after watching that film. Yeah, and yet, yeah, yeah. you know, they weren't lovers in it or anything, but my God, they steamed up the scene. This, you're like, well, <laughs> are they together? I don't know. And, you know, why do I really care? Yeah, I think that's, yeah. I think that's the, the overwhelming response coming out of Gigli is, why do I care about any character in this film? Do you think we'll ever get the breast cut then? <laughs> that, that could be ter- interpreted two different ways to yeah, be honest yeah. with you you know <laughs> the amount of clothes that jennifer lopez doesn't wear as well yeah will we get no absolutely not no multi breast <laughs> is done with filming he's done with making films he's done with everything um i think he was horribly scarred by this which is a shame it's just so terrible um what we've got so i I can't ever see us getting it and there's no demand for it this is the thing because most people don't know that this is not the film that he made and this is you know as i say i go back to it this is why i wanted to come on here and pick gili not because i want to stick up for it but i want to explain that this is not the film that they made at all this is a completely different movie you know it's like when you watch a director's cut of a film now this doesn't happen often but sometimes you see it and it's like it's night and day it's yeah. completely different. And I think that's what you would see with Marty Bress. And there have been, there is a critic in the US, I'm trying to think of his name now, I can't remember, who saw the original version and said it was really good. Not like amazing, but it was really good. It made sense. You know, the fact that they killed Geely at the end, whereas in this one, they get in a car and they ride off into the sunset, like literally ride off into yeah, the sunset. Yeah. And what we get out of it is we get no more films from Marty Brest, who as we know, great director, you know, you listed his films earlier. Um, Jennifer Lopez ultimately didn't uh, stumble because of it, really. You know, she went on to make other films. Um, she did Shall We Dance and Monster in Law straight after, which were very popular. Her music yeah. career went up and up and up anyway um, because of this. Ben Affleck's career as a leading man sort of didn't really work at that time. It sort of stalled. But what we got from that was him pulling back from being Hollywood heartthrob and being the Ben Affleck that we know now, which is this gruff, almost action man, but action for other things. You know, he went off to make The Town and he made Gone Girl as well. And, you know, he, he came, his first film back was Gone Baby Gone, which obviously was a very big film for him as a director as well. And, you know, he made Argo as well. This is the thing. So as much as Gili gets a bad rep, and it deservedly so, good things have come out of it. So sometimes you have to take that step back in order to go two steps forward. Certainly in Affleck's case, that's the, that's the reason why. And here's the other point that I actually want to make as well on this one is, interestingly, Marty Brest has now been thanked twice at the Oscars for films that he was not involved in, which is interesting. So, I mean, you know, Al Pacino thanked him when obviously winning... Uh, the award for Scent of a Woman. Great, fantastic, because he knew that he was in the hands of a very capable director. But when Affleck uh, picked up the award for Argo, he thanked Marty Brest. Most wow. people didn't pick up on that at all. They were like, oh, he's really enough names. And he said, Marty Brest, you know, Martin Brest. But now you think about it and you go back to it and you go, okay, they had a horrible time. But somewhere along the line, Ben Affleck has picked up directorial skills from Marty Brest and he's made Argo, which was 
an Academy winner. He's yeah, made Gone Baby film. Gone. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, he went on to make The Town as well, which I love. I think it's yes, a brilliant good. film. As I say, it it's still a horrible film, but the fact that the the fact that Marty Bress was able to impart some of his knowledge onto Ben Affleck, the fact that Jennifer Lopez was able to go on and make other films, you know, and ultimately, let's face it, I think we could find a very nice line between her performance as Ricky and Gigli and her performance in Hustlers. I mean, she's incredible in Hustlers. Incredible. And there is that very fine line that could be argued that that is her character very early on. So, yeah, it's it's still a bad film, though, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) There's no getting away from it, unfortunately, Mark. (laughs) I agree with everything you said uh, and more, but, yeah, I I was expecting to be completely shell-shocked by it, but I, I must admit... I mean, I've seen a lot of bad films with the podcast, mm. but um, this is up there, but it's not offensive. It's, but it is offensive. Don't get me wrong. There are incredibly yeah. offensive bits in it. Yeah. I'm happy that I've now seen it and we can put it to bed because it's one of those, <laughs> it's one of those, yeah, elephants in the room. It's the yeah. albatross, isn't it? It's like, you know, yeah. yeah, we've got to do uh, Gili at some point. Yeah, yeah. you know, you're, you're saying it's, it's a bad film and people do pick it out as a bad film, but you know, these people have not seen battlefield earth or they've not seen oversex rug suckers from Mars. Yeah. You know, they're, they're <laughs> bad films like, yeah. like bad, bad, bad films where people have paid money to get those films made. It's not that bad. As you said, it is offensive at times. It just sort of passes through you after you've watched it. And you know, in, in, less than a month somebody will say to you oh you watched Gigli what was it like and you'll just go ah you know it's not as bad as people make out it's still bad but it's not you know it it shouldn't be on anybody's worst list films let's face it no I agree but between the two of us Mark what we need to be doing is is making a trending hashtag release the Martin breast cut Uh, (laughs) and I think we might get what we want because you know those those DC guys are making that work aren't they making that happen for the Schneider cut yeah yeah it looks like it I have to say do you know what actually I haven't told anybody this so this is probably a bit of an exclusive here for you is that I actually know where Marty breast is okay because I tried to interview him for the Pacino book and was obviously pushed back. You know, he doesn't do interviews and whatever else, but I know where he is. I know who looks after him in terms of his, he doesn't have an agent anymore. Um, All of that's gone. He's only got one person looking after him. So I know who it is. So he's about, yeah, but he's just not interested in talking about anything. It's a real shame. It is. It is because that man has, as I said, you know, people left, right and center in the film industry rate him as one of the best directors they've ever worked with. And I imagine him talking about his films would be fascinating. But I think, you know, some actors and directors can work past their box office bombs. Um, you know, Pacino's done it in the past and he's looked back on it and gone, well, I'm pleased I carried on working. But I think this so scarred Marty Brest that he was like, I'm, I'm just not going to, I'm just going to hibernate. Yeah. He'll and be back. I hope so. I really hope so. And even if it is just as a producer or as a writer or something, then that would be great. You know, mm. just a tentative step back. Um, you know, the, the world deserves a new multi-breast film. The world yeah. deserves Midnight Run 2. Yeah. Well, we'll make it happen, Mark, between us, I'm sure. He'll, he'll, he's on Twitter. He'll see it. He'll go, oh, <laughs> wow, I'm being resurrected. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, Mark, thank you so much for, for giving us a real insight into, into Gigli. I've really enjoyed talking to you about it. And it's brought a new light on it. I think we can agree on a lot of things. And we've 
you know, it doesn't, des- it does deserve it and it doesn't deserve it. And there's all sorts of different mm. reasons why we can talk about Gili and, and bring it to people's attention and ask them to potentially go back and revisit it with a, with another, with another take on it, potentially of what it could have been. Yeah. Uh, I think, see yeah. it for what it is. Yeah. I think that's a really good point actually, is people going back and, and revisiting it and realizing <laughs> it's not the bomb that you think it is. And if you go in with the additional information of this is not the film that was meant to be made, maybe, just maybe, and I'm just saying maybe, I'm not saying it's a positive here, maybe you might enjoy it a little bit more. Excellent. Mark, thanks again. Where can we find you online and, and uh, on Twitter and, and, and Facebook and things like that? Uh, so I'm on Twitter, Mark underscore Searby, my website, MarkSearby.com. And then if you want to buy a copy of my Al Pacino book, it's on all the digital providers, you know, Amazon, iBooks, Kobo, Barnes & Noble. If you want a physical copy, they're on Amazon as well. Excellent. Thanks again, Mark. Thank you. If we were to draw a graph of my process, of my method, something like this, Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian, action. Wizard, you shall not pass! Cut! Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian. Good interview, Chris. I know, it was good, wasn't it? Really Heavily good. edited, I'm suspecting. <laughs> <laughs> really, Only on your side, though. <laughs> a really good insight uh, into kind of how this movie was made and, you know, what direction it should have gone. Are we going to get the cut, the cut, the, the, uh, the director's cut? And, and we're going to start the hashtag for that one. So, <laughs> so that's, what, that's, that's our third, that's our third, third interview now where they've bucked the trend and just come on and slammed. I mean, Adele drove her with Valerian was an, an unconscious one because yeah. it was on their list of things to see. And they, there was a 50, 50 chance they could have been defending it. But they didn't. Um, and then we had Boyd who slammed Mission to Mars. Yeah. And yeah. Now this one. So. Well, I think we'll have to, we're going to have to broaden out things a little bit in the podcast. Yeah. Say, look, you don't have let to, people have a go at it. Let's just give you a film with ones that are on our radar. If you want to do it with us then sit down and have a chat and we can, we can all find the good things to say about them together. It was interesting yeah. with this one, Mark did, I did just sort of have to apologize to Mark that you weren't going to be on this podcast. And he was like, I was fishing you were, fucking sweet corn out of a dishwasher. <laughs> a, a dishwasher broken and you had some work to do or something is kind of the excuse I made. And uh, Mark said, is it though, or is it just that you didn't want to watch Gilly? I was like, <laughs> I'm suspecting it's the latter. I could never tell with Matthew. (laughs) I was up to my elbows in dishwasher grease. So you had a dishwasher problem then? I had a dishwasher issue, yeah. So, so, you know, household appliances always come before a podcast. It has to. Especially one like a dishwasher. It's the the foundations for a good marriage, a dishwasher. (laughs) Yeah, God. Um, (laughs) On that note, it's been a pleasure. Uh, This episode was great. Thank you very uh, again for Mark and all the show notes. Yeah, sorry, in the show notes will be all the information where you can get the book and follow them on Twitter and all that sort of thing as well. So if if, if you're enjoying the podcast, write a review if you can and give us a rating. That would be ace. And follow us on the social media channels. We're we're there on all of them. We don't know how to use all of them, but we're there. Get involved in the chatter. And uh, the website is, Matthew? www.dog. It's all those W's and then moviebunkerpodcast.com. Excellent. So until next time, Matthew. Bye-bye. Bunker out.